And look, it's actually really good timing because how good is it when these big projects um, that you might have going on in your life finally come to fruition? They finally all get wrapped up. So Amanda and I signed up to a Kickstarter campaign about six years ago now. Now, over that six years, we've moved house three times. We've had four times we've had to kick in extra funds to it. Um, but about two months ago, we finally got the, the, uh, the project, which was incredible. What this guy's done is he's, he's tried to re-envisage what the Bible looks like. He said a lot of people dive into single scriptures or single stories or single messages. He said it's actually a story that traces the, the totality of history. So he's taken out all the, the verse numbers, he's taken out all the headings, and he's turned it into effectively the whole Bible into five um, volumes, and it just reads as a single story. I can tell you, it's a really, it's a fascinating way to read it, because I didn't realise how much I was looking at it in terms of this patchwork uh, message of stories, and when you actually tie it all together and read it as a whole, you get this whole new appreciation for the shape and the trajectory of God's relationship to man. All right? You don't look at individual stories and your Bible plans don't take you all over the Bible. You start to see this whole journey of learning to trust, suffering through distance, suffering through your own stupidity, um, feelings of abandonment, the reconciliation, and, and going from the world being against you to the world being your oyster. It's, it's an incredible way of looking at the story. And that's the perspective I want to bring to today's message. I want to tackle today's topic, which is love, actually. It's the second part of the relationship series that, um, that Pastor Dave Barter started last week. How good was Pastor Dave? All right, a great message. And I wanted to look at it specifically from the three words that we keep projecting onto the screen, faith, hope, and love. These three words come from 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's a it's probably a chapter that's read at 99% of all weddings that you go to, okay? It's a, it, it really is the go-to chapter when you want to talk about explaining relationships and talking about it. So if we just move quickly through, through 1 Corinthians now, it starts off, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, I have nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it too will pass away. For if we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, when Christ comes down into our lives again, what is in part disappears. For now we see... For when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. 
For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. And this is the the whole sum up. This is the hashtag Paul uses to bring it home to the church in Corinth. But now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now this despite the fact that it's used in, uh, in weddings and it's used to tell stories about kindness and patience. Look, this isn't a flowery poem. This was meant as a really strong rebuke. This was a smackdown back in its day to the first century church of a church who were abusing its spiritual gifts, right? There was corruption, there was drunkenness, there were factions infighting in that early church. And this story was meant to give clarity to the new Christians who were trying to find some sort of language, try and find a, a model of how they should act in this new world. And it makes the point that the greatest pursuits of Christian life are not miracles, they're not powers and they're not gifts. The greatest three virtues are faith, hope and love. And there's a reason that even though these three things remain, after all else is pa- uh, comes to pass, that love is the greatest. Look, these virtues, they're reinforced multiple times throughout the New Testament. So I'm not just picking this one verse and, and I'm going to throw this across the entire Bible. Um, you have a look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3. We remember before our God and Father the work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. You go to ver- uh, chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Galatians 5, 5 to 6, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This is important, and the reason I really want to hone in on this today, when we're talking about relationships, is because Paul here makes the distinction between a number of different types of love. He's not saying that they're all equal and the virtues um, are all the same. There's a real distinction, and it's important for the whole story of man's relationship with God, and it's important for our own relationships with each other, between doing something out of a need, which is the hope, doing something out of a duty, which is the faith, and doing something because it's virtuous and because it's good in and of itself. That's the love, that's the charity, and that's the agape type of love that Paul's talking about here. And the reason this is so important, as we're touching on the relationship side, is that we can often go on autopilot, right? We can often just keep doing the things we've always done them, we can often rely and fall back just on the the pure needs that we have out of a relationship. We can fall back and just hope and wish, but never have that compelled into action. Because you see, the church in Corinth, it, it had its problems, right, to be sure. But part of the challenge and part of the reason this is so important is that on paper, the church in Corinth was going from strength to strength, right? From an internal perspective, without that without that perspective to be looking back on themselves, they were saying they were doing the right thing. They were growing in numbers, their church was actively tithing, they had 
the city treasurer, Erastus, as part of their congregation. They had homeless members of Corinth as part of their congregation. On paper, they were, they were delivering an outcome that seemed like what the early church wanted to have. But that was a facade, right? They were tolerating a lot of really serious issues in their church because of their pride. They wanted to be seen as more tolerant than anyone else. They wanted to be bigger, they wanted to be more successful and more lasting than the rest of the first century churches. And so they lost perspective on that bigger picture. They lost perspective that the end goal of communion and love is to become more Christ-like. It's not to have on paper this ideal relationship, this Instagram-worthy facade of perfection. It's the goal to become more Christ-like. You know, there's this expectation I find that as you grow up, as you you move out of home, you move in with someone, you get promoted, you, you start a family, that you'll somehow acquire by magic this new language, this new way of looking at things, of, of dealing with the challenges that come up. It's like when you say, I do, you magically become a, a more patient person, you become more tolerant or a, a, a more compassionate person. That's what Paul's talking about back in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 2-3. He says, if you have wisdom but you don't have love, you have nothing, right? The love, that's the magic source that transforms things into that Christ-like level of relationship. There comes a time when we need to stop thinking, there comes a time when we do stop thinking about why we're doing things. We just fall into this process where we do them out of habit. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, that Hope, faith and love, they're the three virtues that remain. They're the three virtues that are eternal. But without love to wrap them up, without love to give them that north star and that guiding light, they can lead you down the wrong path. They can lead you into a plateau in your relationships where you'll never break through into the world and the the power that God really has in His heart for you. And this isn't to say the outcome's bad. You know, we all start from a place of hope in our relationships. That's the, the spark that gets you going to start with. But if we rest there, if we never push further than a need love or a duty love, then we're never going to be able to demonstrate that, that truly self-sacrificial love that Jesus left for us. That's not why we're called to remain. And that, I think, is what James is talking about in James 1, 23 to 25. He said, if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, then he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and he walks away and he's immediately forgotten the type of man he is. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it and uses it as a mirror, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. You see, love, love is the greatest because it's the mirror that we shine against our own lives. That's the one we use to really interrogate where we're at in our lives. Throughout the Bible, there's a, there's a whole range of ways that the various authors describe love, right? They describe it as a relationship, as a friendship, as a, a physical type of love, as a bond of brotherhood, it's not until you get into Christ that they start talking um, with the term agape love, all right? 
It's a type of love that is, it's truly self-sacrificial. It's, it's selfless love. It's love that goes beyond just duty and, and breaks into a new world. And so, I think testing our relationships using the mirror of that agape love, that's why it is the greatest of those three virtues. And it's how we test the, relate, the health of our own relationships, right? It's how we, how we ensure we're remaining focused on the right elements of the relationships that we're in. And it doesn't just have to be a, a, an intimate relationship. It's a relationship with your church, with your friends, with your work, all right? It's what is inspiring you, where your heart is, not just the on-paper outcome. So, the point of today that I want to um, drill down into is that love, hope and faith, three words we have up there every week, right, they collectively define our relationships. But without love, the other two don't serve a purpose. Building a relationship requires all three of them, but it's love, all right? It's that self-sacrificial, deep-seated love. That's the special source that keeps it sweet, right? So I talked at the start about this, um, this Kickstarter project. It's called Bibliotheca. It, it is um, a really interesting way of looking at it. And so if, I, if we take that longer trajectory and we talk about hope into faith into love that's traced across the entire Bible, but you know, applying it into myself, I think about when I first met Amanda. Okay? She was a whole lot of sass and a whole lot of cute in this tiny package, right? Um, <laughs> yep, that's fair. All right, there's this, this instant spark of attraction, all right, this, this connection that you see there. But if you don't do anything with that, then if you don't move beyond that need, what's the point of it? All right, that's the one that draws you in. That's the part that brings new Christians into the church, all right? It's either a, a, a curious hope, this hope for a, a better tomorrow, or it's a, a really angry and a desperate hope, right? That your back's on against the wall and you really need something else to break through. It's a hope. That's the spark that brings you into a relationship to start with. All right, it's the first step in change. And it's one Pastor Ward talks about all the time, right? That's the hope that drives you and that brings you on. But the thing is, and this is the, the key part and the reason why we can't remain at hope is that hope is a fragile gift, Right? Hope is, is this precious spark, but because it can be desperate, because it's from a place of need, hope can latch onto anything. And so, without the perspective to bring you back, without a perspective of love to bring you into alignment, that's how you can end up with these Instagram-worthy relationships that, that are never any deeper, all right? That's why we need to break through to this next level. Hope is the kind of love, um, C.S. Lewis described it as a need love, right? It's one of his four main types of love. And he says, it's very in your face. It's driven by what needs to be done. It's, it's a need for hunger, a need for finances, a need for sex, right? It's a, it's a very primal type of love. And so you can focus just on that, right? You can focus just on delivering that. You can be brought into church from a need-based love, just because you need connection, but if you don't then give something back, if you don't take that next step, other than just getting that initial need filled, you're never going to reach that new depth of your relationship. All right, think about this. 
between when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. God only intervened a a handful of times over the following hundreds of years. It wasn't until Moses came that his followers started to break beyond that need-based expectation, that desire just for freedom from slavery, that immediate desire for food, for shelter, for security. It wasn't until that immediate after Exodus point um, that the beyond-need relationship was really born. And, you know, I'd actually put the, I'd put the transition point somewhere around Joshua, you know, because they've, not only because I think it's a pretty red-hot book, um, but because it's where you do start to break out and, you know, if they only stepped over the Jordan into the Promised Land and they, they rested there, no doubt many people would have been happy with that, you know. They'd been free from slavery, they are in the land of milk and honey, all's good, we can stay there. It wasn't until Joshua started coming and he said, you know what, I've actually got a mission from God here. I've got something I want to do that is far beyond just meeting these needs. It's not enough, he said, to simply live day to day. We want to start living our best life and we're willing to do something about it. And that's the, that's the intellectual transition point where you start going, I'm no longer happy just with need love. And the reason I say the, the transition point is there is you read all these stories and they're, they're effectively just trying to force the enemies out of their immediate area. It wasn't until um, Joshua and the, the battle against the, the kingdom of Ai that he said, you know what, I've got a mission here, the sun's about to go down, they're fleeing, but I'm not done. I'm not happy just to break through into a place of financial and security. I want to break through into a part where I can actually serve God. Son, you will stand still in the sky. You will not move until I have finished what I want to do. That was a transition point, right? That's where you've gone beyond just needing those immediate needs and you're actually breaking into a point of faith. That is how we move on to the faith aspect of these three eternal virtues, right? Faith is that next step. It's when you start to learn about the other person. It's when you start to build a connection that goes beyond those, the financial, the hunger, the sex needs. It's It took me five years to convince Amanda to go out with me, right? After that initial spark, it took five years. It was a process, right? You learn to connect. You learn what the other person likes. You learn what the other person needs. You learn what brings them joy. You break through into this part of of a connection where your hope is compelled into action, that's this next stage of love that we start seeing. I call it a, a duty type of love. And for a lot of people, I think, that's where their relationships stay. Right? You get into these, these routines, you get into these processes where you're comfortable, you know topics to avoid so you don't start a fight, you know things that will bring immediate joy. Um, obviously, not that I've never done this, but uh, you, know, you get around to Valentine's Day and you go, better get a card, better get a gift. Right? It's out of a place of expectation and routine rather than saying, you know what, this is one day among 365 others that I want to specifically shine a spotlight on and say, I'm grateful, I'm thankful and I'm in love with you. Right? If you don't break through beyond that faith, beyond that duty love, then again, you're going to plateau. And that's not the best life that we're called to. If we go back to that, that overall narrative piece between when the Israelites fled Egypt, 
all the way to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, faith was routine, right? You had these Ten Commandments, said, if you do X, I'll do Y. It was a, a transactional type of arrangement. And look, there's good reasons for that. You know, they had to learn how to trust. They had to learn what the relationship with God was. In, in this tiny area of the world where there were so many other competing religions and, and gods and things going on, you had to have this process of connection. And it, the fact that it spanned for hundreds of years where we're dealing with five, um, it's still a process of learning what the other person needs, what's important and what's valuable. Right? It's, it's the start of a really intimate type of relationship. But unfortunately, as we saw both in the Bible, as we see so often in, in relationships these days, it gets you into a place of autopilot, gets you into a place where you no longer start challenging and thinking about why you're doing things. It's just you, you take it for granted, right? That this is, your, this is your destiny, this is your lot in life, is to be at this level. And as long as you don't step outside your swim lane, things are going to be sweet. Now, that's a pretty, that's a dull type of life, right? That's not your best life. That's not what we're called to. I'll give you this truth, right? Faith in God will give you the power and the authority to move mountains, but love will give you the reason to move them. See, love, it's the pinnacle, right? It's the process of finalising that connection and of breaking through to something so much more, so much realer than anything you could have imagined before. Love, it's an action, right? It's part of the reason back in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul uses words to describe it. He says it's not just this um, state of being, love is patient, love is kind, love is giving, love is selfless, right? It needs to describe to this early church and it needs to describe to us now that it's more than just an emotion, right? It's more than just a state of being. Because you see, emotions, they, they come and go. You know, everyone here feels that. You get tired. The passion's not there. You, you get hungry and you get fixated on other goals. Emotions can surge and they can ebb. And ultimately, they're tied to a, to a really specific set of circumstances, Right. But God's love, it's that eternal view. It's the one that stretches throughout all of time. And that's the self-sacrificial love that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's the love that breaks you through into that new stage of being. It's the one that drags you out of autopilot, it drags you out of routine and puts you in this whole new space where you want to give more, you want to go the extra mile, where you're always fixated on giving, rather than receiving. And that's why I think Paul ends with saying that of the three that remain, that love is the greatest. Because it's the only one that truly reflects God. Right? You think at the end of time, when, when the world is reborn, faith will be perfected by vision. Right? What's the point of faith when you're literally standing in communion with God for all time? Right? Faith, faith brings you there, but it's not necessary when you're complete. Hope, hope is overtaken by completion. You, know, you don't need to have this, this longing and this um, wishing for a better life when you're literally brought into completion with Christ. 
It's important, and they're, they're parts of the same puzzle. But love, love is the best reflection of what God is calling us to. That's why it's the greatest. That's why it's such a critical part of our relationships. Because the Christ love that's mentioned here, that's up on the screen, that's a covenant. It's not a contract, right? It imposes conditions and there's expectations there, but it's not a, it's not a balance sheet. You're not trying to weigh up actions and try and break even at the end of the day. It goes beyond wishing for a relationship and it goes beyond acting out of duty and becomes about a mutual desire to walk together, to grow together and to build something together. This type of, this type of agape love um, that Paul's talking about here, it's a relationship where you give yourself to one another. There are obligations but not conditions. This is the mirror that Paul was talking about when he, he talked about forgetting who you were, right? If you have this mirror of perfect love, if you have this mirror through Christ's example of self-sacrificial love, of going far above and beyond, then you can keep track of yourself and you can start to see, am I living that life that God calls me to? Am I just in routine? What have I gone above and beyond for? And again, it doesn't have to be an intimate relationship. It can be a dozen different relationships, but it's thinking about where are we up to in our relationships? The challenge is our ability to give love will always pale in comparison to our need for love, right? And just, look, this is self-evident. I mean, we're, we're broken creatures. We're flawed. We, we do tire. We do get hungry. We do have these physical needs. The example of Christ really knocks us around because it puts the perspective back on giving, right? It, it pushes us into a place where wherever we're at, we still need to have a perspective on giving back of, of a gift type of love, right? And the thing is, the ball's always in our court, right? Saying that um, given it shall be given back to you, pressed down, running over, um, in abundance, right? The start of it is give, and it will be given back running over, say this, that I think God cares just as much about the process, as about the journey, as He does about the outcome. All right, and that's what you see when you look across the entire trajectory, the entire narrative of the Bible, right? It isn't just about getting you out of Egypt. It isn't just about giving you financial security and a, you know, wealth beyond all measure in your temple, right? It isn't just about um, getting you to a place where you believe in the Son of God, it's about the journey. That's why it wasn't enough to simply pick up the uh, Israelites out of Egypt and drop them into Canaan, right? It's not just about achieving that end. That's why it's not about for, uh, why it wasn't enough for Jesus simply to wave his hands over the crowd and heal en masse, right? It's about the journey. It's about that process of connecting and of being willing to sacrifice something. That's why it's not enough for Paul to be, sa- to be, for Paul to be satisfied with those on-paper successes in Corinth. And that is why it's not enough for us to be satisfied with a relationship purely built on need, right? That's why we need to be breaking through. 
Our highest goal, the example God has given time and time again, has to be for us to be striving for a covenant relationship, a self-sacrificial, giving type of love. I'd say, as Lewis, he said that the natural loves, those needs, those duties, that physical type of love, they'll all fade away. They'll fade from time, they'll fade from distance, they'll fade just out of monotony, out of routine. But they can be made forever sweet if you always have that mirror in your life of the agape love, of the truly Christ-like love, eternal, unconditional and agonisingly selfless. Look, I will finish up here. Um, Look, let's stand. I'd just like to lead us in a closing prayer. Look, if this is spoken through to you today, if this, this has resonated and you say, I really, I'm not satisfied anymore with just wishing. I'm not satisfied just with having my needs met. And I want to break through, and I want to understand that Christ-like love. Then, then please, I'd love to, to pray with you after this service. Let's pray together now. Heavenly God, you are so good, you are so compassionate, and you are so relentless in your love. Your Son has given us the perfect mirror to keep our relationships on track. Move in our lives today. Compel us into action. Help us, Lord, to switch out of autopilot and into deliberate and sacrificial love. Remind us that our story is not yet complete. This isn't where we have to stay. This isn't our lot in life. Lord, encourage us in our loneliness. Soften us in our routine. Push us well outside our comfort zone. Push us into the world and the life you've called us to. Call us, Lord, into the place of your glory. Come down into our relationships today. Remind us of the path we've walked. Give us the strength to keep going. And let us never lose sight of the example of your love, that end state that you've been calling us to from the beginning of time, Lord. Drive us today, fill us anew and send us out, Lord, through the mighty and powerful and never-ending example of your Son, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, Amen, Amen.